Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Amen. All right. Well, everything else that happens after this is just, it's gravy, right? It's, it's all, we've had worship, we've had a great time announcing an exciting thing, but I guess I'll still preach a little bit, a little bit. I'm glad you're here uh, on this third week in March, and we are in our second week on a sermon series in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon from Jesus, and uh, looking specifically at the Beatitudes, if you didn't know, the Sermon on the Mount is known as Jesus' de- declaration of the kingdom. And he is declaring to the people that are listening, the crowds, the disciples, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. Other people will announce about their kingdoms and their agendas, but this is what the kingdom of God is all about. Last week, we looked at the beginning of the Beatitudes. And I've talked about this before, but I'm trying to encourage us. I hope it's okay if I encourage you to read your Bible more. I hope it's okay if I encourage you to pray more. Um, I'm going to encourage you to do another thing. Would you, with me, help memorize some scripture? Has any, um, did you memorize scripture in Royal Rangers, in kids ministry, in Awana, JBQ, whatever, girls ministry, whatever you did? Since then, I don't know about you, but I have not done a good job memorizing scripture since then. And so it, it's great to be able to, when someone asks you a question like, hey, let me get my uh, Bible out here and pull it up. But I want to be able to memorize. It's just powerful right, to internalize the Word of God and pull it out from your heart, from your memory. And so I've been trying to do that with the Beatitudes. They seem easier to to remember than, say, you know, Leviticus or something like that. And so I'm I'm doing this, give me grace if I forget it wrong, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, we started last week, says, blessed are the poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first one. Then we looked at blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, And the third one we looked at last week is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, you can do that. You can memorize that, I promise, if you take some time. And I'm going to try to memorize these next three by next week and see if we can memorize the Beatitudes together. Um, The future Beatitudes that we look at today are all grounded because of the work of the first three Beatitudes. Scholars say that those first three, they're, they're the root system. If you can't be poor in spirit, if you can't be willing to mourn for people and be meek and humble, you can't move on to these next Beatitudes. You you will fail in this. And so these next three are the life and the fruits of the first three Beatitudes. We're going to read the whole passage together as we're going to do next week as well. Let's bring it up. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus goes up on the mountain 
to preach this message to the crowd and his disciples, and he shares the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the keys to progress in our Christian walk. I'll say that again. The Beatitudes are the, they're the keys to progress in our Christian walk. And today we're going to look at the blessings that stand on top of the framework from last week. This message today is entitled, The Desires of the Heart. The Desires of the Heart. Let's reread verse 6 again. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's a blessing when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we say righteousness, it simply means living by God's standards. Right living by God's standards, not by your standards, not by the world's standards, right living according to God's standards. And there's a blessing for those who hunger and thirst. Notice the emphasis here. You cannot flip this around to say that the righteous will be hungry and thirsty for a blessing. You have to put it in the right way. There's a blessing for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The first point is seek righteousness over a blessing. Yeah, we all want to be blessed, but what are we seeking? What are you pursuing? To be more like Christ, or are you simply pursuing the benefits of following God's kingdom? Righteousness has to be the goal. The blessing is simply a byproduct. What are our motives? What are we glorifying? Are we glorifying the gifts that we receive? Or are we glorifying the giver who gives the gifts? We have to make sure, where is our blessing? Where is our thanks? What are we putting our focus on? The giver or the gifts? And thankfully, we serve a God who, he loves to bless his children. But we are to seek to obey God and desire righteousness. What does it mean when it says to hunger and thirst for something? It's funny that one of, the, one of the few things that is relatable today and was relatable then is we can still be hungry and thirsty today as they were thousands of years ago. Are you ever hungry and thirsty? I've seen some of you when you're hungry and thirsty. You are not yourself. It's like the Snickers commercial, right? Betty White. You're not you when you're hungry. You get hangry. Some of you are just downright mean. Like, hangry is being a nice, is a nice way of putting it for some of us, right? It's, it's intense. We're passionate. And when we're hungry, we don't just say, man, I'm hungry. Oh, well. No, we do something about it, right? It activates a desire inside of us. Should we, when we say we're hungry and thirsty for God, say, oh, well, and go back to the rest of our day? No, that hunger and thirst should it should move us to action. A real Christian does not feel like they've ever arrived. Oh, I read the Bible today. I've arrived. I've done everything right. No, they are hungry and they are thirsty for more righteousness. Because when you're hungry, you seek out opportunities to get away and talk to God. When you're hungry, you get less interested in the material things and you become more interested in the eternal things. When you're hungry, hear me on this one, when you're hungry, you care less about which song is being sung, and you're just happy to be able to praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Because when you're hungry, you become less opinionated. 
Have you ever been so hungry? You're like, I don't care where we eat. Just pick a place. I'm too hungry to make this decision right now. Send me wherever. Send me to White Castle at this point. I don't care where we go. Okay, maybe not that one. Bad, bad, bad example. Send me wherever. Waffle House. I don't care. Have you ever been so hungry that you ate something so generic like an apple? And it's just like, oh my goodness, this is the best apple I have ever had. No, I think you're just hungry. I think you're just really hungry. It's a normal apple from Myers. That's all it is. It's very simple. But you're so hungry that whatever you receive, it matters all the more. When you're hungry, you become less opinionated. And you're just desiring more of God. When you're hungry, church becomes less about your preferences. I don't care what book of the Bible I'm in today. I just need more of God. I just need to consume more of his word. Are you hearing me, church? Are you hungry? Where is our hunger and thirst for righteousness? Where is our sacrifice of our preference and our routine and allow God to interrupt it because I'm just that hungry? This is a very small thing, but sometimes it's just a small step. You don't need to look to take a day off from work and just sit in ashes and pray, but what's a small step that you can make to increase your hunger? I'll tell you, for, for me this week, Monday morning, I like to listen to some podcasts. Anybody else, you want to turn on a podcast? Maybe it's a sermon. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's something else. But this Monday morning, I was like, no, I don't want to hear someone talking in my ear right now. I just read the Bible. I want to keep thinking about that. I want to maybe pray in tongues a little bit. I want to, I want to pray to God. I, I'll, I'll do that later. But I'm just hungry for something more than a sports podcast right now. What does it look like for you to be a little extra hungry than you've been? What does it look like to, to hunger and thirst for something else? Because we, we thirst for a lot of things. People are thirsty for power and authority and success. But as Christians, we have to look a little different in what drives us and what motivates us. Have a passion for God. Have a passion, have a hunger do you have a hunger for God throughout your week? Or is it just when you're getting ready to go to church that you're like, okay, I'm ready to hear the word? Do we, we think about God during the week? I bet you think about how hungry you are for lunch. You could be sitting at lunch eating, thinking about what am I eating for dinner? Right? That's how our mind works sometimes. Anybody, when you go on vacation, that's half the battle is just figuring out where you're going to eat. I'm just mapping out the best places in this area. Shanna and I, we were at a conference in Houston, H-Town. We're like, man, what's good to eat here? They've got to have some like, good barbecue, I'm sure. There's some good Tex-Mex. I promise, we focus on the conference and more about God than this. But, but it's the things that you think about, right? You're hungry. I promise you that when you seek God, you're hungry for more of it. I promise you that when you seek God, it says, what does it say at the end of verse 6? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they shall be satisfied. You're going to be filled up when you come to God. You can go to other things to try to satisfy you, but it won't fully satisfy you. You can go to this relationship, that guy, that girl, she, she or he may be great, but people will always fail us. You go to God, he's not going to fail you. You go to all kinds of things to try to satisfy you. You can go to Chipotle, order online, grab the bowl, go home. You open it up. It looks like they portion controlled for a kindergarten. You're like, what is this? This is not going to fill me up. I'm sorry. The portion controls are just way out, of, way out of hand there. I'm just saying. 
they will not fully satisfy. But when you hunger for the righteousness of God, you will be satisfied. And not only will you be satisfied, but the funny thing about God is you'll also want more at the same time. You'll be filled up. You won't need more, but you'll want more because he's so good. Do you ever go to a great restaurant? I'm sorry, this is the last food example, and then I'm going to move on. I promise. This is the last one. Last one. When you go to a great restaurant, name whatever your favorite is. It's, it's Hyde Park. It's Texas Day Brazil, Rodizio, whatever, whatever. After you're done with the meal, are you like, oh, that was great. I don't think I ever need to go back here. No, you're like, that was amazing. I would love to go back like next week. Your wallet's like, hey, buddy, uh, you can't afford that next week. But you want to, you enjoyed it so much. Going to hunger and thirst for God, you're going to be satisfied. But you're also going to want more. All right, did I get my point across? Am I allowed to move on to the next one? The louder you are back to me, the faster I go. So I'm just saying, if you, I'm just saying. At this part in the Beatitudes, after talking about hunger and thirst, it actually shifts a little bit. Remember, I said the first three Beatitudes, they're the root. The next one is the life. And these, these next three you'll see are kind of the fruits of those attitudes of being like Christ. Read verse 7 again. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Our second point today, the mercy you give is the mercy you get. I'm going to explain that in a moment. The mercy you give is the mercy you get. But mercy is simply defined as not getting what we do deserve. Because we have all sinned. We all, there's the penalty of sin, and that, that's death. But God, in his mercy, sent Jesus that we would have the opportunity to receive eternal life. Mercy is the character of God. Hear me on this. Psalm 103, you might remember, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. The Lord is merciful. It's not what he has sometimes when he feels like it. It's who he is. It's the identity. It's the DNA. It is the nature of God to be merciful. Mercy is in the nature of God, and his word changes us. It challenges us to be more merciful. Check out Jude. It is right before Revelation, if you got your Bible with you. And there's only one chapter. Look at the very end of Jude. It talks about mercy three times. Verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Three times at the end of Jude, we are instructed in regards to mercy. It says, wait for the mercy of Jesus, have mercy, and show mercy. We just talked about that first one, right? That Jesus came to us in the mercy of God. So we're waiting for Jesus to come again. Anyone else waiting? Like, God, my feet are not in concrete. Take me whenever you're ready. I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm waiting for the mercy. But it means that we, we have mercy also on those who are struggling. Have mercy on the people that are spiritually struggling. They're going through things. Have mercy on those who desire to follow God, but they're struggling with an obstacle. They're dealing with an addiction in their life. 
Have mercy on people that are struggling with doubt. Circumstances come into our life that allow doubt to creep in, right? And when those people are struggling, we're not supposed to say, I just don't understand. Why don't you get this? God's going to get you through it. What's wrong with you? It's not a merciful attitude. It's more like, I'm praying for you, man. I'm so sorry that happened. I don't understand why everything happens in this life, but I know God loves you. I know the Lord is merciful and gracious and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in love to to you. He's got his best for you. Have mercy on those who are struggling because we've all needed it before, right? Have we all been in need of mercy? Have we all made mistakes in our life? If we have needed it before and needed to receive it, can we also be ready to give it to those who are in need? And then Jesus instructs us, I'm sorry, Jude, through Jesus, same thing, instructs us to show mercy on those who doubt, and then says, show mercy with fear. With fear. Hating the garment stained by the flesh. This is the mercy for those who are doing or living in the wrong. And it brings context to the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. Sometimes we get that mixed up, don't we? Don't we put them all in the same box and say, if you're doing that, then that's you and and you're terrible too. No, it says show mercy with fear. The fear is that you don't want to see them continue in that way going to hell. You know, it can be true that you can disagree with someone and still love them. Our culture doesn't want you to think that, but that's actually the truth. Now, there's a right way to approach someone and there's a wrong way. To show mercy with fear loving them so much that you don't want to see them continue on in the path that they're in, the self-destruction mode that they're in right now. People will say, oh, God loves me just the way I am. Yes, he does, and he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to move on towards a relationship with him. Show mercy with fear. You can love and show mercy to people that you disagree with. Remember I said before, the mercy that you give is the mercy that you get. I think the best example of that in the Bible is in the Old Testament. If you see David, David, he, remember, he rescued Israel. He, he saved them from Goliath. He served Saul, the first king of Israel. He did all the right things. But Saul became jealous, and he got angry, and he attempted to kill David. So David's on the run. David's getting away from Saul. Multiple times, Saul falls asleep, and David has the ability to end his life. This person who's been trying to kill him, who's been forcing him to be on the run all the time, the soldiers around David say, do it. God has surely brought him into your hands. He's delivered him into your hands. And David's like, no, I'm not going to do it. That's God's anointed. I'm going to show mercy to that person. We know David was a man after God's own heart, but he had some mess-ups. He had some problems. The story of Bathsheba. And Nathan comes, the prophet Nathan comes to David and addresses and says, hey, you messed up here. You did something wrong here. David confessed his sin, and Nathan says, God forgives you. That doesn't mean there weren't consequences for what he did. But I believe because David was a man of mercy, he also received mercy from God. Amen. Can we be people of mercy? The merciful are the ones who will receive mercy. Micah 6, 8, it tells us to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. Let's move to the last beatitude. 
Verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They will see God. Purity of heart. Sorry. Purity of heart. In the ancient Greek, that, that phrase pure of heart, it had the concept of being straight, honest. It meant clarity. Our third point today, purity leads to clarity. Have a pure heart, you can clearly see God. The word for pure, it also can mean clean. The same word that, that Jesus used here for pure, he also used when he was talking to the Pharisees in Matthew. In Matthew 23, he was saying, woe to you Pharisees, don't do this, don't live like this. He said, you, you worry about the outside being clean, but the inside is dirty. Clean the inside and then the outside will be clean. That same word in the Greek is the same word for pure here and pure in heart. Purity starts internal and moves external. Cleaning starts on the inside, works its way outside. Because our heart shapes what we do. The Bible says from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's on the inside will eventually come up on the outside. You can put a mask on, you, you can try to, to put a facade, but, but people will see eventually who you are on the inside. Your heart will be made aware. We can try to cover it up, and we do, don't we? But they'll see. Have you ever heard when someone says, another, another phrase for pure is it, it's an undivided heart. Has anyone ever said to you, can I have your undivided attention? I think five people just looked up from their phones like, oh my goodness, what just happened? <laughs> undivided attention. It's becoming less and less common to have undivided attention. Any multitaskers in the room? You've got one AirPod in and you're doing the dishes and your wife's telling you a story. She's like, that AirPod, you're not listening to anything, are you? No, 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 what's up? What's, what's going on? Undivided attention. We've divided our attention so often. But this thing, when you're pure of heart, when your heart is not divided between God and this and that and the next thing, because those issues begin to, to well up. When we divide our hearts, we're saying, yes, God's important, but also work is also most important. Also, family is most important. And I promise you, when you put God first, he will prioritize correctly the rest of your life as it should go. I'm not saying when you're focused on God that you never focus on work or your family or friends. No, no, no. When you focus on God, he cares about the things that you care about. He will put it in the right priority list. But he's saying, don't be divided with greed and selfishness. Your purity is important because it leads to your clarity. And vision is important because when we have something blocking our vision, it's hard to see the goals down the road. It's hard to see the obstacles that are right in front of us. Purity, undivided attention. When you're driving, you don't want your attention divided when, when it's bad out. Think about when it's snowing. Think about it when it's raining so hard. Has it ever rained so hard for you, you had to pull over because you could not see? You were about to run into the person in front of you. There are distractions in our life that try to take away our purity, our undivided attention. But purity leads to clarity. The pure in heart will see God. 
Doesn't that sound like a great reward for being pure? To be able to see God? Let me share with you one last scripture. Brent, Alexa, you can come up with me as we close. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. You're probably familiar with this. It says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. It starts by asking a question. Who can ascend to the hills? Who can be there in front of God? A person with clean hands and a person with a pure heart. When it says clean hands, it's talking about your actions, the things you do. But pure heart, it also means your intentions, your desires. A person with good desires and actions, they will see God. And it's funny because not only does it say they'll receive a blessing, but what does it say? A blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Takes us back to our first point, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And then he says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek God. Today, I want to challenge you. What are you hungry for? What is the desire of your heart? Is it pure? Are there some things that need to get pulled out? Some things that have been dividing your attention? What does your heart want? We have to be careful when we say that because the world takes that time. I'm just following my heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else. And that's why we need the word of God to come in and purify our heart. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us into righteousness, to make sure our heart is following after God. Our heart follows God. We don't follow our heart. You with me? Why don't you stand up as we close? I hope that we as a church would not get stagnant, would not say, well, that's good enough. I've, I've hungered and thirsted for today. I'll do it again next week. No, we need more. I promise you, you need more of God in your life each and every day. It's not just for my sake. It's not nothing to do with me. It's not for God's sake. God does it for your sake to bless you. You want mercy? You have to be ready to be merciful. You want to see God? Purity of heart. So just for a moment, I'm not going to draw this out. They're going to lead you in one song. I'm going to ask you to self-evaluate yourself for one moment and say, where is my level of hunger? Is there something in my life I can take another step in my hunger and my thirst for God? This altar area is available. If you want to kneel down, get away from distractions, you can make an altar at your seat. You can lift your hands, posture yourself to hear from God. But ask yourself that question. Am I hungry for God?
Is there something I need to let go of? Is there something I need to pick up in my walk with God? Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.